with James today, and uh, I know you've all been welcomed, but we do have some people who are visitors among us today, and we certainly welcome you and trust that the Lord blesses you and that this message speaks to you today, too. And today is the power of a few words. Uh, James chapter 3 is our, is our focus. The year 2020 is one that so many people were happy to put behind them, even though vestiges of 2020 are with us and maybe with us for a longer period of time. Writers and bloggers, as I read them, struggle to find the positives among the fires like that in Australia and the floods that we've seen, the riots that we've watched with horror, the election drama, and the defining feature of it all, I guess, is a novel coronavirus that has spawned a pandemic perhaps unlike anything in our collective memory. One writer stated, it is really an understatement to call this past year anything short of a wreck. And that's why when I get the kind of news we got in the past little while, you see positive notes in it. Words are the currency of communication. Language is one of the major ways we make ourselves understood. I've spent the better part of my life trying to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. But communication is a minefield since, since technology has been developed to help us say more things in newer ways, but without all of the human attributes that go with speech. An email never is fully able to give us what tone someone is using. It doesn't be, it's not accompanied by body language. Yet we email constantly, we text incessantly, and even recently tweets had to be curtailed from a sitting president to prevent a terrible situation from becoming much worse. It's amazing how just a few words can grow into something much larger and in fact a movement. Let me give you some examples. You'll remember this one. I have a dream. And certainly we are in context this morning with this being Black History Month. I can't breathe. Who will ever forget those words? And Black Lives Matter sadly owes some of its strength to people like George Floyd. These words, I concede the election to Joseph Biden. Words Americans and their neighbors in large part wanted to hear to end a conflict and a transition to a new administration no matter where you sit on the political spectrum. Remember these words, we have a vaccine. How exciting it was when that news came to us ever after months of medical emergencies and so many deaths that still, still continue while, to use the vernacular of our time, we try to get the vaccine into arms. You see, words can bring peace and words can bring conflict. In our Bible study on John's Gospel, we focused on Jesus resting at a well in, in Sychar, in, in the land known as Samaria, when a Samaritan wo woman approached. And at face value, it's just a coincidence 
until the silence between two people, two people from very different spectrums, until their silence is broken by a request. And Jesus asked a simple question, would you give me a drink of water? And the question, as embedded as it was in history and controversy, launched a Samaritan revival despite all of the barriers between the two people who conversed on each side of that question. See, it appears that the strongest of bonds can be broken by words. The acid of hate and misunderstanding, which is so often expressed in language, can dissolve links in a chain. Peace becomes a tough proposition when people clash and battle lines get drawn. Words are powerful. They're like a caged animal released. Once released, they can never be recaptured. Once we've said something, all of the retractions in the world may never make these things right again. Words can shatter and rip, but they can also bless and they can heal. And the scripture is not silent at all on the power of our words. Now James writes this portion, and I can detect a bite in his language. He says in chapter 3, verse 1, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. You read passages like that and tremble. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now if we put the bits into the horse's mouths, so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water. Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. It does have a bite, doesn't it? It's a, it is a stinging reminder to the church of his day 
and the church of our day. Now look closely at what James implies about a person who chooses not to think before they utter a few choice words. He compares it to a wild horse that no one can ride. There's no bit in its mouth, so it cannot be controlled. That horse is mad. Slashing hooves, James indicates, bruise and break, and sharp teeth leave bleeding wounds. That's the person who throws words out there indiscriminately. The bit is a piece of steel that is often less than six inches long, but the proper use of it can turn a whole horse. I've put bits in horses' mouths. I don't look like much of a horseman, but I've had occasion to harness a horse in my grandfather's day and take it into the woods with him and pull back a good load of birch. I go back a ways to doing these types of things and from being somewhat, somewhat enthralled by horses. I helped him load that sled and watched him as he turned the horse with the bit in the direction of home. I've seen my grandfather rein in the horse and make that horse's mouth open wide as he pulled on the bit before a train came across the tracks in front, in front of us. I remember another time that he lost se several cows to a train. The bit helps us control the animal. Pull on the bit and wool happens. The unruly tongue never knows when to stop. Something less than a pound can control a ton of powerful animal. It can harness an amazing amount of power and turn it into something constructive rather than something destructive. Now James also compares wayward words to a ship being lashed by fierce winds. The heavy gale is driving the vessel, but as long as the rudder, or as the King James Version says, the helm is intact, the pilot can maintain his mastery of a large ship of many tons, Without the rudder, the ship is driven entirely by the wind. And when a rudder used to break on these old ships, then a mariner would say that all is lost. It can break up on the rocks or be driven so far off course as to almost never find their way again. And yet the rudder is only a splinter of wood compared to the size of those ships. In James' day, ships could carry a couple of hundred people. Today, thousands can board one vessel and be transported to a destination. And it's amazing that a pilot who can weigh under 200 pounds can control a ship hundreds of thousands of times greater than he is. Now David wrote to those who unleashed evil with their tongues in Psalm 50 and 19. So James is not inventing something here. Here's what the psalmist wrote. You give your mouth free reign for evil and your tongue frames deceit. 1 Peter 3 and 10 offers a conditional statement for life. And the apostle says, For one who desires life, to love and to see good days, must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. You see, the person who truly knows God is the one who knows he doesn't have the wheel. He knows who can guide and he knows who can lead. He knows who can see through the, through the storm, and he's comforted by the steady voice of the Spirit of God who guides us into wisdom. And we need that kind of assurance today. We need to know there is one who stands by us and is ready to help us when we face the temptation of these things. 
Paul told a group of hungry and exhausted and, hope, and a hopeless crewmen in a storm on the Mediterranean, there stood by me this night an angel of the Lord, whose I am and whom I serve. And Paul continued that he had been informed by God that not a soul would be lost if they stayed with the ship. And even though that ship broke up, they all made it safely to shore. James' third comparison is to a spark that causes a great forest fire. Anyone who's seen the uncontrollable nature of a forest fire knows that there are times when balls of flame will jump from treetop to treetop with the movement of the wind, and just the slightest change in breeze can send a fire in a different, a different direction. I've been stuck on the highway a couple of times as forest fires threatened in this province or burned huge, huge stretches of timber. Anyone who's walked among the blackened stumps and leafless sticks knows the destructive force of fire. Fort Mac, Fort McMurray remembers fire. You talk to people from there, and I have, and they tell me it's hard to believe that such destruction and devastation can be caused by a spark or a burning match or a cigarette butt or even a small campfire. Well, when James looks at these kinds of destructive forces, he says that words have the ability to, to ignite a raging inferno, and we know that often it's these kinds of things that can bring nations even to war. We know that these words can destroy households and they can wreck marriages. And perhaps that's why the writer of the Proverbs said, a gentle answer turns away wrath but a harsh word stirs up anger. See, the amazing fact in all of this and in all of James' examples is that in each of these cases, something that is very small can grow to something of amazing proportions. The small rudder that controls the ship, the bit that controls the mouth of a horse and then controls the entire body. And then, of course, it's also the the spark that causes a fire. James wants us to know that a person who considers themselves spiritual watches their words. Their language gives them away. If you go back to chapter 1 of James, he says, if anyone considers himself religious, so he gives us a little preview of what's coming. James 1 and 26, if anyone considers himself religious, and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. So we know that this was coming. If you want another example, go back to that of Job. There's no one that I read of that suffered as intolerably as he did. He was pushed to the absolute brink of despair. Even his wife told him to forget God and curse his maker. Seems like she served God when it was convenient and when life was pleasant. And believe me, their losses were great as a couple. When there were lots of everything, maybe everybody is happy. But when her husband was sitting on, an, on the ash heap, as he's described, scraping his boils with a piece of pot -a pottery, she pressed him to give up. But listen to what happens in Job's life. The scriptures say that in all this, Job did not sin with his lips or charge God foolishly. He retained his integrity 
by holding his tongue. How many of us at times, when we are pressed by things that really irritate us, have looked at another person and said, I'm biting my tongue. I'm causing myself a little bit of pain because it distracts me from what I really want to say in a matter like this. How many times have I felt like blowing my top? How many times do I rail against a government or some faceless entity that either has hurt someone close to me or shows utter disregard for what's going on in the life of someone? When Eugene and I have dealt with bureaucracy, I've said a great deal, but not nearly what I wanted to say. I wasn't nearly as as open with my words as I wanted to be. You see, an untamed tongue is absolutely a misnomer. I think we all realize that. The problem runs deeper. The problem is an unchanged heart or an uncommitted mind or someone who doesn't trust God to guide them. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. But you see, the world's model turns us in a different direction. It says, give as good as you take or as good as you get. Blow for blow. Knock for knock. Word for word. And that's precisely what creates distance. And then when we are able to create the distance, the flow of words stop. Negotiations never conclude when dialogue ceases. Relationships break down when there's no com communication. No family can thrive on silence. But in many cases, words have to be carefully crafted because they have the power to build, down, to build up or to tear down. Words will bless or they will bruise, especially in moments of crisis. When I first came into the ministry, I went into the ministry, or landed where I did. Two of the hottest relationship people were Gary Smalley and John Trent. And I remember them writing a story in one of their, one of their courses that I had on VHS in those days. Remember those old, old days? They wrote about a book named Cheryl, or they wrote about a girl named Cheryl in their book. Before her birth, her grandfather father had established a family motto. Two painted words hung on the hall, on the wall of her home, and they said, stand up. Originally, the phrase belonged to the slogan, don't take anything from anybody, stand up and fight. Now, it sounds a little like a street gang or a family setting out on a wagon train on the or or Oregon Trail and took a speech from John, John Wayne. There comes a time when you've got to stand up and fight. Be ready to defend your homestead against anybody who wants to break in. Now the catchwords of the family model were translated as don't give an inch, never say I'm sorry, and never look at another person and say you're right. You see, some words are absolutely useless in a fight. If you get into a fight today, don't use these words if you want to win. Will you forgive me? That will never work in a fight. Or look at another person and say, I care about you. A never given inch attitude pushed Cheryl's father ahead in business, but behind in his relationships with his wife and his five children. 
And when they grew up, they adopted the motto. They all stood and fought until there were seven people under one roof, no bits in their mouths, no rudders on the ship, only uncontrolled, towering infernos, tongues totally out of control. Stand up. Then something changed. Cheryl went to youth camp. And during a youth camp, she dedicated her life to Jesus Christ. One of the first things she noticed when she got home with a change in her heart were the words, stand up. She looked back on what she had been absorbing during youth camp, and she thought of how Jesus had laid down his life and how sick and tired she was of the motto that her family had. And at great personal cost, because you see, breaking these cycles will always cost us. At great personal cost, she began to break the rules of life in her home. Right in the middle of a fight, Cheryl put the bit in her mouth and said, I'm sorry, you're right, please forgive me. And the argument was over, and people were left looking at each other. When she left, you, left for school, she'd say, I love you, Mom, I love you, Dad, and give them both a hug, and they were flabbergasted by it. You see, a plaque and a motto underscoring an attitude had nearly destroyed the family. But now this changed girl, her life now being steered by a divine helmsman, began to chip away at a family foundation that was terribly flawed. And over the next two years, Cheryl's life began to touch the life of her family. She spoke words that challenged their motto. And let me tell you that as I read the story, I know the rule on the wall fights back. But it began to crack when Cheryl's younger sister trusted Jesus as her savior. Then Cheryl's older brother accepted the Lord and the plaque on the wall began to shake. Two Christmases later, Cheryl's father, who is now a brand new Christian, took the plaque down from the wall, never to be hung up again. And the motto got changed to speak up rather than stand up. Share the words of blessing and break the cycle of pain caused by a few words that, that are offered selfishly or indiscriminately. You see, there's a piece of truth, a powerful piece, that's embedded in the final verses of our reading today. None of us achieves the power to bless others in a natural manner. It's a little foreign to us. It springs really from a divine source. And James tells us very clearly that in order for us to live the kind of life that God has for us, we need to be transformed. Otherwise, we're governed by that pendulum of life. Blessing and cursing from the same mouth. And James says that's as ridiculous as trying to get olives from a fig tree or figs from an olive branch. Unchristian behavior is the, con is the contradiction of fresh and bitter water from the same fountain or fresh water from a salt water source. Words are certainly the currency of relationships. 
And don't get me wrong, some relationships probably will not be restored because this takes people on both sides of the equation to restore it. Relationships are not broken or made unilaterally. We can't, there are some things that happen that we can't fix and we have to cope with them and live with them. But words can either lash us or they can love us. They can hurt us or they can heal us. But we have, as Christians have an example. When Jesus was insulted, he was silent. When he was beaten, he bled. When he was cursed, he blessed others. When he was dying, he spoke words of comfort to a man on the cross next to him. Even in that moment of such deep personal pain, carrying the sins of the world, he reached out. He uttered words of forgiveness to those who gambled for his robe and extended those words of welcome to a thief who was close to him. Why would he do that? And how could he do it? You see, the word of God, the will of God, and the way of God was more important to Jesus than his own word, his own will, and his own way. And when the will of God and the word of God and the path of God becomes more important to us than our own way, we'll begin to achieve these kinds of, of ends. It's so in the life of Jesus, I suspect, it's so in my life as well. Take James' advice today, folks. I'm trying to. Can't say I've done it. Can't say I'm perfect in all of these ways. Who can? If you can, you should be preaching this sermon and not me. But let's take James' advice and diffuse the explosive power of words. <laughs> Remember, some of us grew up in Sunday school and we always had this little rhyme that we'd use, be careful little hands what you do, be careful little feet where you go. <laughs> well, remember the other one? Oh, be careful little tongue what you say. You can add more to that, be careful little brain what you think. Sorry to say we got little brains. But you see, words of blessing will change our lives. Words of blessing changed my life immensely. I have so many wonderful people in my life who have blessed me with their words. And, some, and somehow when others defy those words of blessing that I've been offered and curse me, the words of blessing lift me above it. I've been accepted into the family of God by none other than Jesus Christ my Savior and my Lord. If God be for us, who can be against us? I have been blessed by the highest possible authority in heaven and on earth. And I won't take someone else's hasty opinion of who I am. Accept the words of blessing from God and plant them deeply in our hearts and we will handle most of the other things that are thrown at us. And out of that kind of abundance of blessing, we will bless others. And I trust we will do that. 
as God gives us the ability. Would you bow with me in prayer? Thank you, Lord, for words of forgiveness. Thank you that when we offered ourselves to you in our brokenness and in our sin, you did not turn us away, but you offered us words of welcome. We are like Paul that we have been made to sit in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. We are told constantly that our citizenship is in heaven. We are told that we are waiting merely for the return of Jesus Christ to usher us into a kingdom of life and peace. But as we live and as we toil in this world, we are victims of so many things but I pray we will not make victims of others. I pray that we will bear the load that we are asked to bear. Sometimes we call it a cross to bear. But I pray that our hearts will abound with words of blessing. I pray, Father, that we will resist the temptation to operate without a bit in our mouth, a rudder on the ship, or the spark that causes a fire. Bless us this day, Lord, so that we may be a blessing and a great ambassador for you. We love you and we thank you. And as we now go to a time of communion, I pray that our time spent in your presence will be sweet. And I pray that we will remember today again the price that was paid for our redemption. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen. Bless you. Is the music team prepared to come back and offer us a song? I know Dan is, is missing. <laughs>